Thank you, Pastor Jason Singer's musician, beautiful singing this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis and chapter 3. Now, last year we went through Genesis chapter by chapter and some chapters verse by verse. This is one of those chapters we went through verse by verse. So we're not going to repeat that this morning, but I'm thinking really of just Eve herself and how this passage speaks about her. Uh, so we want to think about Eve in this great passage. Look at, uh, you see the text up there, uh, uh, Genesis three twenty. Look at it with me. Keep your Bibles open. We'll look around at other verses as well. But look at verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Think about that. She was the first mother. She was called the mother of all the living. All of us came from her originally. Pretty remarkable when you, when you think about it. You know, Dr. Miller in his series on origins in the, uh, uh, on Wednesday nights, he emphasized there's really only one race, and that's the human race. We all came from uh, Adam and Eve. So Eve is the mother of all living. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together. Speak to us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I love the little story about James. You've probably heard me tell it in the past, but James was in a little uh, country school, and uh, his teacher, uh, they, were, they were going over fractions, and so his teacher called on James and said, now James, you have seven brothers and sisters, and he nodded, and and yes, ma'am. And, and uh, she said, now if all of you, your, your mother, your father, and, and you and your seven uh, brothers and sisters sat down to eat, there'd be ten of you, right? And he said, yes, ma'am. And uh, she said, now if your mother had baked a peach pie, and, and she divided that peach pie, how much would you get? And he said, one knife. And she said, now, James, think about it. There's ten of you. How much would you get? And he said, one ninth. And, and she said, James, don't you know your fractions? And he said, yes, ma'am, but I know my mama, too. And I know she's going to say, I don't want no pie, so we could have more. I've always loved that story because... My mother was that way, sacrificing all the time behind the scenes, not in big showy ways, but always behind the scenes, sacrificing for me and for my, for my brother. And I've always loved that little story. You know, I've been blessed to be surrounded with, with great mothers, really, wonderful mothers. My, my own mother was wonderful. My wife is a wonderful mother. And we have three daughters. Those three daughters have become wonderful mothers. And um, Doug married uh, Laura, and Laura's a wonderful mother. We even have a granddaughter who has two children, and she's a wonderful mother. So we're surrounded by wonderful mothers. We're blessed in that way. And not everyone is, but we certainly are blessed. Now I'm speaking to you today about an important subject. Nothing's more important than raising children. A mother or a father, for that matter, will never do a job more important 
than raising children. It's the most important job you'll ever do, most, most difficult job you'll ever do, most rewarding job you'll ever do. So I'm speaking today to mothers, yes, but I'm speaking to all of us. Uh, let me put it this way. I'm speaking to everybody who's ever had a mother or ever known a mother. That ought to get all of us from this passage some principles that we see about Eve and uh, her life. Well, with that said, look up at your screen for a moment and, and let's think about it like this. Eve knew, she experienced, she knew the disappointment of failure. Now, we're familiar with this story. The whole third chapter is about this story. Of all that the Lord blessed Adam and Eve with, there was one thing they were not to do, and that was to eat of the tree, of the, uh, of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was the one thing God restricted from them, and that's the one thing they did. And Eve was tricked by Satan through the serpent, and she ate and gave to her husband, and he ate, and they sinned against God. They knew they had sinned, so they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. And then God came in and, and the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from God. They had been communing with God and walking with God and enjoying God and knowing His <clears throat> joy. Now they're hiding. And God comes and calls to them, where, where are you? Now God knew where they were, didn't He? It didn't, it didn't matter how well they were hiding. God knew exactly where they were. But he wanted them to admit that they were hiding, that they were hiding from God. He wanted them to realize where they were. And God still calls the mankind down through the ages. To, to this day, God still calls uh, and asks us where we are. Are you in the right place? Are you in, are you in a relationship with Christ, a genuine, real relationship, a saving relationship with Christ? Are you walking in fellowship God still calls to us. He called to Adam and Eve. And, and then you know what happened, of course. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. But they eventually confessed what they had done. And, uh, uh, and they knew that they had disappointed God and they disappointed themselves. She knew the disappointment of failure. Don't you imagine later when she was having babies, Satan came along and whispered to her, you're not worthy. Remember what you did? Remember those things you did? You're not worthy of this. And uh, they would have to remind Satan that of the blood that was shed for them. And we see that in verse 21. Pick it up in verse 21. Uh, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. This is the first mention in the Bible where we have a blood sacrifice because of sin. Some animal or animals had to die for those skins to be made. Blood had to be shed. And of course, it's a beautiful illustration of Christ who is the Lamb of God who shed His blood for us, and now we're clothed with His righteousness. Just as they were clothed there, we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And it's a beautiful thing, those of us who put our faith in Christ. And uh, so she knew also the forgiveness of sin. Do you know, I think, I think sometimes mothers are plagued 
with the fact they, they're disappointed in themselves because they're not perfect. And uh, I, I like what uh, Jill Churchill said, and I quote, There's no way to be a perfect mother, but a million ways to be a good one. <laughs> I like that. There are no perfect mothers, and you may have disappointed yourself. You may have disappointed the Lord, but uh, accept His forgiveness and trust Him and keep going, whatever that failure may have been, whatever that disappointment may have been. I've got a wonderful article here from a clinical psychiatrist by the name of Dr. John Cox, and he writes to the... uh, monthly magazine, the Jackson Christian Family Magazine, and uh, he's writing because he sees so many mothers who are all stressed out because they feel like they just can't measure up, you know. Uh, I mean, this is such an important job, and they feel like they just can't measure up. I know sometimes fathers feel that way too, and sometimes all of us feel that way just in the Christian life. We're just not measuring up. And so he wrote this article regarding mothers feeling that way. He used an illustration. He said, mothers often feel like somebody in a a rowboat, you know, out in the water rowing. And in the bottom of the boat, there's five holes. You've got two feet and two hands to plug four of those holes. But there still leaves a hole unplugged. Plus, when you're plugging the holes, you can't go forward rowing. And so it's an impossible task. Women feel that way sometimes. He says, and now I'm quoting, with only two hands and one... One foot. That's not what he said. With only two hands and two feet, you're going to leave some hole uncovered no matter how hard you try. That's motherhood. And then he, he tells some things that mothers have told him, kind of tongue-in-cheek type of thing. One mother, for instance, told him she had thrown in the towel and was no longer worrying about being a good mother. She says, and I'm quoting, I started a trust fund to pay for my children's therapy to undo the damage I have done. Another one told Dr. Cox, she said, I pray every night, Lord, please don't let my children remember how I treated them today. (laughs) Another mother says she was right on the edge. And she said, I've taken up pottery making so that I'll have a hobby when my family sends me to the mental institution. He also quotes a psychiatrist from uh, named Wincott who did a lot of research on young adults who were well-adjusted and doing well in life. And uh, he asked questions about parents. And he found that in most cases, these were pretty ordinary parents. But there were some things they all did in common. One was they loved their children dearly and unconditionally. Secondly, they took them to church regularly. And uh, thirdly, they disciplined them in some way or another. And then, fourthly, when they did make mistakes, they apologized. And 
he coined the phrase, these are not perfect parents. He, he didn't even want to use the term good parents. He coined the phrase good enough parents. <laughs> they were loving and they brought them to church. They did the best they could and they were good enough and God used them to make something wonderful out of their children. I, uh, he concludes like this. Maybe the nicest Mother's Day gift you can give to them, mothers, is the freedom to not be perfect. Just be good enough. So, Eve knew what it was like to be disappointed in herself. To be disappointed in her own failure. Mothers aren't perfect, are they? Just like dads and just like Children, boys and girls, none of us are perfect. Well, she also knew the joy of having a child. Look back at your screen for a moment. Secondly, she knew the joy of having a child. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2. And uh, Adam knew Eve, that is, uh, knew is a euphemism for sexual uh, activity. And he knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine the surprise when Cain comes out and uh, they see how little and wrinkled he is and they say, well, we've gotten a man, a male. We've gotten a man from the Lord. They recognized it, of course, as a gift from the Lord. And then verse 2 says she also had Abel. And bear Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. So she had, knew the joy of having a child. Think about it. Everything, everything they did was they had never seen done before. I mean, they didn't know a baby born couldn't walk necessarily. I mean, I imagine in my mind, maybe they picked him up and put his feet where it touched the ground and kind of walked him across the floor and wondered if he could walk. And he found out he couldn't walk. Said, you mean we've got to carry this thing around everywhere we go? So they started carrying him around everywhere they go. And uh, he couldn't talk. All he wanted to do was eat and sleep. And then can you imagine that first dirty diaper? That must have been a shocker, you know? What do you do with this? And uh, so they, they didn't have a mother to ask. She was the first mother. They didn't have a book to read, couldn't go on the internet, and so they just had to do the best they could. I believe that along the way, God himself gave them instruction and encouragement. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us that, but we can assume that because they knew certain things, and we know that God had spoke to them in chapter 3. So I believe God helped them with that, and I believe God will help every mother today now, there's nothing wrong with a good book, reading a good book and asking your mother and so forth and other people good advice, but uh, ask the Lord too, and he'll help you. Uh, and so she knew the joy, uh, the joy of having a child. She knew it was a wonderful gift. We've gotten a man from the Lord. And then they watched him grow up, take his first step, and, and uh, say his first word, and their hearts were filled with joy. But not only did she know joy, look back at your screen for a moment, she knew the sorrow of losing 
a child. Verses 3 through 8 tell us that. Let's look at it. Look at verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought an offering, uh, brought the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. He was angry. He was beside himself with anger. And his countenance fell. That is, you could tell by the look on his face he was angry. You could tell by his body language he was angry. And God speaks to him. Uh, and the Lord said unto Cain, verse 6, why art, there, why art thou wrath, angry, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, if you do what I've instructed you to do, shalt thou not be accepted? Of course. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. The word lieth there can be translated crouches, like an animal crouching right before it springs on its prey. It's personifying sin here. As an animal. You know, sin is ready to pounce on all of us. If we give it half a chance, it will pounce on us. Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so, uh, sin is crouching at the door. And then notice it says, and, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him, or thou Thou must rule over him. If not, he will rule over you is the idea uh, in the text. So sin is about to spring on, uh, on him. Now we see in this passage the two paths of man. We see God's path, and that is the path of, of a blood sacrifice. Abel brought a blood sacrifice to worship God. And Cain, we see, in Cain we see the way of man instead of the way of God. We see the way of man. He brought the works of his hands. And those two ways still exist today. You can try to approach God through the blood uh, of Christ, or you can try to approach God through your own good works and good deeds and so forth. The New Testament makes it eternally clear that no man can come to God by his works. Uh, but men continue to do so because it seems right. It feels right. And it's what I can do. But there must be a blood sacrifice. And so Cain was angry when God didn't accept him because his his. Work, the work of his hands, it just seemed right. It felt right. It felt good to offer God the works of his hands. But God rejected them. Now some people have said that in the law, you could also offer uh, fruit, fruit offerings, of course, and, uh, and uh, offerings from what you've taken from the ground. And that is true. But the law had not been given here. Uh, they, they try to say that it wasn't because one was blood and one wasn't. They try to say it was because of attitude. But the revelation they had was an animal had to die for Adam and Eve to be covered. 
And uh, so uh, apparently God had given them instruction now to bring a blood sacrifice. But Cain came his own way. And so, uh, and so man's been coming his own way ever since. Be sure you've come through the blood. Be sure you've trusted Christ in Christ alone. And let his blood cleanse you from your sin. And so then you know the rest of the story. Verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass that while they were in a field, Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? What a smart aleck thing to say to God himself, the creator. He says, what? Why are you asking me? I'm not my brother's keeper. And uh, the Lord says, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, and now art thou cursed from the earth. And so we're thinking more of Eve now. Think of Eve's broken heart. Her, her son, Abel, is dead, murdered. And her heart is broken. You know, life is full of losses and failures. Disappointments. Some of you mothers here today and others as well, you've lost your mate to death or maybe in divorce. Some of you have lost children as Eve did. Over the years, I've seen a lot of hurting people, but I think nothing hurts any more than losing a child. Some of you here may have lost a child when they were little, or maybe after they were already grown and adult, you lost a son or a daughter, and it broke your mother's heart. And so it was with Eve. Her heart was broken. She didn't have a pastor to talk to. She didn't have a, a committee of of a Bible study group of ladies to talk to. She didn't have a book to read. She didn't have a counselor to go to. The only place she could go was to the Lord. And I don't think she hid this time. She hid when she sinned in chapter 3, but this time I think she went to the Lord. And the Lord became her comfort and her strength in this terrible loss. And though we have other things to help us in our day, ultimately all comfort comes from the Lord Himself. Look to Him in the midst of your pain and sorrow. Look to Him and let Him comfort you. Dr. John R. Rice tells the story of a, of a woman whose husband left her and she had to work two jobs to try to feed the kids. She had quite a few kids. And then she got sick herself and they had to depend on the mercy and kindness of others to feed the family because she couldn't work. And then while she was in the hospital, one of her children, a 15-year-old daughter, died. Dr. John I. Rice said he was asked to conduct the funeral, and so he goes, to, uh, he goes to visit this lady. He said he dreaded the visit because she had been through so much, lost her, lost her husband, lost her own health, lost her 15-year-old daughter, didn't have money to feed her children, and it was so tragic. And when he went to her and saw her in the hospital, through her tears, 
she welcomed him and said to him, and I, I'm quoting now, she said, Brother Rice, Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. She said, Brother Rice, he came. He came. He came. Only Jesus can mend a broken heart. But he can. And he can comfort. And he can strengthen. And so look to him and trust him. She knew the pain of losing a child. Then look back at your screen. She also knew the uh, pain of a wayward child. In those next chapters, of course, we're told that God sends Cain away. Not only did she lose Abel, but Cain was the one who killed him. That compounded the pain, and then God sent him away so that he couldn't no longer stay with his family, and, uh, and so he was torn away from his mother. He had rebelled against God's instructions and wanted to go his own way. He had insulted God by his smart aleck speech. He had killed his brother and broke his mother's heart, and now he's sent away. By the way, of all that he did, he also said when God was going to send him away, he said, my punishment's too much. It's, I mean, he's still feeling sorry for himself. It's remarkable people who do that. He killed his brother, but he's feeling sorry for himself. My punishment is just too much. God, you're being too hard on me, he said. But it broke his mother's heart. Wayward children break a mother's heart, and a father's heart as well. And she knew, she knew this pain of her own son and his sin and being separated from him. You know, there is a philosophy in the land, and you even hear it said sometimes, there are no bad children, just bad parents. So you blame everything a child does on the parents. God said in Ezekiel 18 that that philosophy is not to be accepted among his people. He said a son will bear his own sin and the mother and father will not bear the sin. So God says that philosophy is not true. I've seen some wonderful homes where a child made terrible decisions and went astray and their life was in ruin. You know, I love David Jeremiah. I think he's one of the great preachers of our day. And I love his books. I love his preaching. And uh, I think he's a great leader and example. He tells in one of his books about his daughter Jan. He was pastoring a large church, and in that church there was a school system, and his daughter Jan was in the high school part of that church. And he got a call while he was driving one day, and the principal of the high school said they found his daughter was at school and, and was in possession of cocaine. 
He was devastated. His wife was devastated. She was suspended from school and they worked with her. Over a period of time, she promised, you know, that she would do better. And over a period of time, she went back to school. But was in trouble again. Drugs again. She was suspended again. David Jeremiah said it was the most difficult time he and his wife had ever gone through in their life and in their ministry. He tells in detail about the day when they, they had decided to send her to a, to a, uh, a girls' group home. She didn't want to go, and it broke their heart to make her go. But they insisted, and he tells about the tears they shed when she was leaving the home and going to this group home. And then he entertained the idea that maybe he should resign the church and drop out of the ministry because, you know, the Scripture talks about uh, one of the qualifications for a pastor is that his children uh, are in line. And so he thought about dropping out, but he, he waited. And God, of course, has has used him all around the world in a tremendous way. The good news is that uh, she did recover and uh, is serving the Lord and doing well and happy in life and so forth, but that was a terribly difficult time. She came from one of the best homes, you know, that you could possibly come from. But she made foolish decisions herself and broke her mother's heart and broke her father's heart. Don't break your parents' heart. And then one more thing. And that is, she knew the blessing of a godly child. Now, Abel had been a godly child, but he was gone now. But look at uh, the last part of chapter 4, verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. And to, to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So Seth was, had a godly line coming from him, people who called on the Lord and knew the Lord. And Cain, of course, bore uh, children, and it was an ungodly line those who didn't listen to the Lord and those who went their own way and wanted to go their own way. And there's still those two divisions in mankind today. People who are willing to come God's way and people who want to come their own way. And so she knew the blessing of this godly child. Can can you imagine both of her boys were gone. One was dead, one was sent away. She had no children now. And here comes this third boy and he grows up, and they must have laughed together and had a wonderful time, and she taught them all the things God had taught uh, her and Adam, and, uh, and they spent their life together in a wonderful way. Now, Eve is in heaven with Abel and with Seth, and they're still rejoicing. They're still laughing They're still having a grand time together. It's a wonderful thing when a family all knows the Lord Jesus and you know that you're going to be together through all eternity. Not just down here as wonderful as that is, but for all eternity we're going to be together. If you have a wayward child, 
I want to encourage you to keep praying and keep loving that child. Don't give up. Keep praying. I love the story that D.L. Moody teach, uh, that tells, told of a woman who lived in Scotland and her grown daughter left home and went to Glasgow and lived a wicked and sinful life living on the streets and she never gave up praying though she kept praying the years went by and she kept praying she tried to find her uh, daughter but uh, she was almost impossible to find in this big city and then she got the idea that she would take a picture of her face and make copies of it and she would write two words I'm talking about the picture of the mother's face, not the daughter, the mother's face. And the two words were, come home. And she made copies of those, and she put them up in all of the rescue missions and uh, homeless shelters and places where people on the street congregated. And, and, uh, and sure enough, eventually, time went by, and eventually that young woman, can you imagine her surprise when she looks up and seeing her mother the mother who had looked, looked at her and looked into her eyes when she was a child and took care of her, a mother's picture is on the wall. Two words, come home. That daughter said, it only had two words, come home, but it said to me, I still love you, and I want you. I forgive you. And she went home. Their fellowship was, was restored. and They loved each other and cared for each other from that time home. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep loving. God answers prayer.